Great to be with you this morning, and uh, we're kicking off a, a, a new uh, series today. Going to be spending some time in First Corinthians, and uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was on my way back from uh, from the states. I was over there for a, a course, and at the end of my course, my parents came out to visit me, and they brought with me a gift to bring back and to bring to my wife, and it was several sets of china, you know, kind of nice dishes, uh, and uh, these were all wedding gifts that we had received 15 years ago uh, that had never seen the light of day, literally never been open, and uh, as maybe that is kind of want to happen. But we were uh, married for about a year and a half before we moved to Australia, and so most of what we were given uh, for our wedding, we just got rid of. There was a couple things that I signed a contractual agreement with my parents around that they would store for a maximum of 15 years. And... uh, one of those things was China, and so they actually, that wasn't, they had probably stored it forever, but they were moving, so they were shifting some things around, and Lisa said, could you, could you bring that back? So, so they brought it to me, and so it was like several sets, and I had to work out how I was going to get this back, and so I sort of repacked them, got them into two boxes that uh, wouldn't exactly fit in, in the uh, carry-on requirements, or as I like to call them, suggestions, and um, so I got them close, and you know, but I was like, I was telling the lady to check, and I'm like, I can't check these. Like, these are special. This is a gift for our wedding. She's like, it doesn't, this isn't the right. So I'm like, I can move it. And, and, I, and she's like, but this, and I was like, I let a tear roll down my face. Think of my <laughs> wife and all these things. And eventually she, she relented. She said, oh, let me get you some. She wiped the tear and said, it's okay. And um, I don't know, it was something like that anyway. She was okay. Oh, I, I believe it was more like Fine, fine, just take it, go. I'll work it out, don't worry. And um, so I brought them because I didn't want anything to happen because they're special. And they made it all the way. Can you believe this? I took them all the way. I left New York. I carried them around Hong Kong Airport for about 10 hours. I'm like walking around. Like this is the best day we've had in a long time. And took them everywhere, you know, and got them here totally in shape. Not a nick, not a, not a scratch on them. And to be honest, pretty impressed with myself. So... But I brought him, and I was thinking this week, we, we still haven't used him yet, and we haven't used because, like, this stuff is so special. It's so, like, different. The other night, and we'll be eating meals, and sometimes I start to think in my head, maybe I should just go get the china, and we'll just put this on it. I mean, literally, we open it up to look at it, because we're like, what did this even look like? You know, like, a lot of people want to give it to us at the wedding, like, what is this stuff? And we're like, wow, that's, that's nice. That would be good. We were eating just, like, something off the grill the other night, something pretty basic. You know, I don't know. It might have been sausages or something. We were eating it off our other uh, plateware that we've, uh, uh, we got at another exquisite supplier of, of uh, things of this nature called Ikea that we got. As I recall, because uh, you could get a whole lot of it for not a lot of money. And, uh, you know, it's pretty basic. It's common. So we put all the normal stuff there. But I was eating this stuff off that plate and thinking, you know, wouldn't it be funny if right now I had, like, just this sausage and put it on the china? And that would be kind of funny because it would be weird because that stuff's kind of different, you know. It's, it's really nice. And, and it's like it's just you just don't tend to use it for every day. That's the whole purpose of it, that it's sort of used for a special moments or distinct occasions. So if you ever come to my house and I serve you on the china, you'll know you're possibly the most important person I've ever had to my house. Because in 15 years, not one person has been treated that way. So, 
But here's the thing, this stuff is, is different. It's distinctly different. You're like, you use it for special moments, special occasions. And I know and I'm aware that, you know, if we did take that and, and, and you brought it into any meal we were having, be it just, you know, my wife and son and I, just our family or, or whether they were guests there, the moment that china went on the table, it would change the entire kind of atmosphere of that meal or that moment. There's just something so kind of special and unique about it. Now, the thing about 1 Corinthians is, as I was reading some of this letter this week, reflecting on it, is just that you can't help but read this letter. Paul's writing it to a church, and he was writing, and it's this picture that, that you can't get around, that you know what? That to be a follower of Christ, to be part of the church of Jesus Christ, is to be distinctly different in this world. That our lives are actually meant to be of such a quality and character and nature. Because we are in Christ, not because of us, but because we are in Christ, they should be of such a quality, character, and nature that it is distinctly different than anything else around us. That the places we go into, by our very presence there, something changes about the atmosphere. Because we are distinctly different. Now, I don't know about you, but I hope that's the kind of life I lead. I'm a follower of Christ. If you don't yet have made a decision to follow Christ or don't know what that's all about, I hope you get a snapshot today. But you have to know this. It is an invitation to a distinctly different kind of life. One that is just unlike any other. The, the letter that is written to the Corinthians when Paul wrote this, it was a, a letter to a church written in a certain time and place. You know, last week, if you were here, we talked about, you know, kind of vision for the church. And we looked at Acts chapter 2, the very beginning of the church. We talked about what it was like when the church was new. This letter, if it was, uh, is written probably 20 years later. You could think about it like this if you wanted, when the church was just slightly older. When the church had just been around for a little while. All the snapshot we saw last week and how, how um, perfect kind of so many of the different things were right in the beginning. Here you start to see some of the cracks showing in all kinds of different ways. But it's so valuable for us in this because these guys lived in very much the same kind of space that we live in today. In fact, Corinth, uh, to give you a little background of this letter, it was a city that in the ancient uh, world, you know, this is about 20 years after uh, Christ's resurrection. Uh, this was a city that sometimes described as a, a combination of sort of uh, New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas. It was a commercial center the way New York is. It was a cultural center the way L.A. is. And, and, and it was also kind of a, a just sort of loose living, you know, sexually licentious place the way we often associate with a place like Las Vegas. It was sort of this, it was a metropolis of its day and exerted all the pressures that a big city and culture exerts on, on anyone at any time in history, no less today. And Paul writes this letter to him, kind of going, this is where you are. You're in Corinth, but this is who you're called to be in that place. And I think it speaks so much to us. Here's how his letter starts. He says this. He starts it off. This is his, his greeting to the church. He says, Paul, this is who's writing. Paul, who was called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. This is how he opens his letter, and he says, Grace and peace 
We'll go on. Grace and peace to you. And to you, AV person back there. Thank you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, in Jesus, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. He says, there's some stuff that's been happening in you that helps us know this is for real. God is doing something in you. He says, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And he, Jesus, will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the greeting to his letter and all the chapters that will follow. And, it, and it's important and powerful for us because he begins to speak into several of the things that will come up throughout his letter. It's also what we will call, as we explore this letter, you'll see, this is what we'll call like the nice part of Paul's letter. If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, you know that as this letter goes, you know, Paul has a bunch of harsh things to say. He tells them at one point, you know, uh, should I, when I come see you, do you want me to bring my rod? <laughs> like, do you want me to come and maybe have to smack some sense into you? Or do you want me to come in gentleness and in love? He talks to him. He uses sarcasm. He's going to. But what is so beautiful about this beginning is what you realize is this. Here Paul is writing to this group of people who he loves and thanks God for. And the only reason at times he might uh, seem to be harsh is because he wants to help them step into the fullness of life that God wants for them. But you see here, despite his frustrations with this church, he nonetheless loved and thanked God for them. Now, I think that alone is something for every one of us to remember, that despite Paul's frustrations with this church and the people in it, he was so thankful to God for them. Can I encourage you, some of the things that maybe frustrate you about church or, or people who are part of the church, maybe me specifically, <laughs> no matter your frustration, just be thankful to God and be thankful for all he's begun in, in me and in others. So Paul writes this letter, and I, I love this because if you find yourself saying, I want to live a distinctly different kind of life for Christ. I, wanna, I want my life to take on something. That you have to, this, this letter is so instructive for us on how we actually begin to step into that. And it starts with this. It starts with a new calling and a new identity. You just have to know, if you want to live a distinctly different life, if you are saying, I want to follow Jesus, I'm a part of, of his followers in this world, the church. You have to know this, when you do that, you've been given a different calling in life. Paul starts his letter, he says, you know who I am? I'm Paul. And he says, you know who I am? I'm called by God to be an apostle of Jesus. He says, that is the mission of my life. And I didn't, I didn't choose it. I didn't say, look how great I'd be at this. I didn't say, God, hey, you know, I, I think I could do that. He says, I was called by God to be an apostle. Not because of anything he'd done, but just God called him to be that. He says, that's who I am. I'm called to be an apostle, to be someone who will go into all different places of the world and tell them about Jesus. Paul went on ships. He went by land. He went by sea. He experienced shipwrecks, imprisonments, beatings. He did all of it because God said, this is your purpose in life, to be my apostle and take the, the good news of Jesus places it's never been before. That was his purpose. You know, when you know your purpose, it sets up a whole trajectory of life for you. I was talking with a friend this week. He's got a seven-year-old, similar age boy as my son. And he, he was just telling me about how 
he, he periodically, when he's with him, he'll say, you know, hey, let's just do any questions you want to ask. He asks me any questions. So they just have these conversations kind of one-on-one where he's with him. Ask me anything you want. I think they were on their way to buy a, a book about a, a rhinoceros or a hippo or something like that. And they've been talking about that. And he's like, ask me any question you want. He maybe asked something about the hippo or rhino or something like that. And then he said, anything else you want to ask? Yeah. Dad, what's my purpose in life? <laughs> you know, you're like, if it was me, I'd be like, let's just get that, let's get the hippo book, hey? <laughs> you know, let's, let's grab that hippo book. And, but he's a, he's a really wise, wise man. And he said to me, he said, oh, well, what do you think? Which is always wise if you're not sure what to say. <laughs> and uh, no, just, that wasn't it. But he said, well, what do you think it is? He kind of thought about it. Seven years old. He said, I, I, I don't know. I guess it's to be a son of God and to love other people. Man. Now, how much will that influence the trajectory of his life that he knows that's my purpose? That that's, that's you know, yeah, I guess that's it. That's what I'm called to do. That purpose will set a course and a trajectory for his life. Can I tell you something? We sometimes want to be like, what's my purpose? What's my? You know what I love about these verses? Paul lets us know. He says, here's mine. I'm called to be an apostle. That will not be the call of every person. Paul had a unique experience in, in the way Jesus appeared to him. You know, knocked him off his donkey, blinded him, set him on a whole different purpose for his whole life. And Paul says, that's my calling to be an apostle. It's unique. But he says, you, church, have a calling as well. And he says, I'm Paul, the apostle called by Jesus Christ. And he says, and I'm writing to you. Those who have been sanctified in Christ and who have been called. Let me hear you say called. Let me hear you say like you're mildly enthusiastic about your calling. Let me hear you say called. Called. He says to those, I'm writing to those who are called to be his holy ones. Some translations say to be the saints. He says, church, this is your calling. People who are followers of Jesus, this is your purpose to be the holy ones, the hagios, the holy people. That's your calling and mine. That's our purpose, to be holy people. Now, can you wrap your mind around this just for one moment? This is your purpose, if you are a follower of Jesus, to be a holy one. A holy man, a holy woman. You're called to be, we're called to be together, collectively, the holy people. We're called by Jesus to be the holy ones in this world. To be holy is to be set apart. Holiness, we begin to understand it in the Old Testament. God, when he was forming this people who would be his own people, the people of Israel, he was forming to represent him, to show him, reveal who he is in this world. He says, I want you to be holy because I am holy. It was his way of saying, I want you to be set apart. I want you to, I'm, I'm holy, I'm God, I created this world, I'm apart from this world, I'm different. I am, there is none like me, God says. And so I want you to reflect that in this world. I don't want you to just be like anything else. I want you to be holy and distinctly different, reflecting my character in this world. I don't want you to just be the common stuff and you're just kind of going on with the same kind of Life as you would have if you've never let me and ever met me, Jesus says, I want you to, to live a distinctly different life because you know me. I want you to be holy. When you go into the room, you bring holiness with you. Your calling 
It's not going to be Paul's calling to get on ships and to travel necessarily across water. Maybe it will, but, it, it, but yet that's not necessarily your calling. It wasn't the calling of the people in this church. It wasn't to go somewhere and do something else. It was to be holiness right where they were. To be holy in your workplace, holy in your family, different, other, distinct in this world. Sometimes people think holiness is the, maybe you, maybe you feel like this, holiness, you know, that, that's, you know. Maybe for, for you, Dean, that might be good. You're, you're a pastor, you know. You're, you're a, a minister. You're, no, holiness is not for a couple people somewhere. Holiness is for every follower of Christ. And sometimes we think of holiness, unfortunately, we just think about it maybe like kind of behavior management. That to be holy is, you know, you just don't do certain things. To be holy, sometimes, often I'll, I'll meet people, and people don't always have a framework for like, you know, you're, what, what is a pastor, you know, what, what is that? And the most common thing is, oh, so you're like a priest. Sometimes I say to people, I'm like a priest, but I can get married, I can have sex, I can do all the good stuff. It's like, you know. And uh, because you know what? Some people's conception of holiness is it's defined by what you do not do. Holiness, yes, there are certain things you do not do out of holiness. There are many things that contradict the character of God. We cannot be, we don't, lying will never be holy. Being greedy will never be holy. Being lustful will never be holy. But holiness is not about just what you don't do. It's how you do everything that you do do. Distinctly different in your way of life. And in every, every and anything that we reflect who God is and his design and intent for our lives and his creation. Holiness. We are all called to be holy. It's not a few people who just kind of do and don't do a few different things. It is just the very nature of who we're called to be as followers of Christ. You know, he, he gives us that, what I love as well. It's not just a new calling. It's a new identity. It's a new identity. He says this is, he just declares it. He says, you are the ones who've been sanctified by God. You are the holy people. Sometimes we think holiness is something we have to achieve. We think it's like a benchmark we got to reach. But I love these verses because it reminds us, he says, look, you've been already, you were declared holy by God. It's just your identity. And when you're in Christ, whether you live into it or not, you have been declared holy. It's your identity. And you're invited to now live out that identity. Holiness isn't something we achieve. It's something we receive from God. It's something he declares about us. Because we're never going to achieve it on our own. But we are distinctly different. We've been given a new calling, a new identity. And with that comes some other new things. Look again at verses, uh, picking up in about verse 7. Paul says, you do not, therefore, because this is who you are. He says, therefore, you do not. Uh, in fact, go back to verse 6. I, don't, I want to pick back up on verse 6. He says, uh, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he thanks God for them. And he talks about them being enriched in all these ways in speech and knowledge. And then in verse 7 he talks about them not lacking any spiritual gift. What you have to understand is then what comes along with this new calling, what comes along with this new identity are, are some new gifts and some new outcomes. And these, these new gifts, he talks about how they've been enriched. All their speech, all their knowledge has been enriched. When you come to know Christ, the totality of how you experience life and understand life is enriched. It's brought to life. You know new things. You see new things. You experience them in a different way. 
Your speech is enriched. Holiness is not just not using bad words. Holiness is having speech that is enriched in every way. Your words carry a certain different kind of weight even. What's amazing as well that Paul thanks God for the way they've been enriched in their speech and in their knowledge. In much of the rest of the letter, he'll be frustrated about both of these areas. But I love that right here, he just thanks God for them. Because even though there were some areas where they were getting off track, Paul knows it's not. He, he doesn't thank God because they're just perfect already in these. He thanks God because he can see what God has begun and is doing in them. They're, they're, they're being enriched in every way. He says you won't lack any spiritual gifts that you need. That actually the spirit of God is pouring out gifts into your life that enable you to fulfill your calling as his holy people in this world. Paul's like, oh, I thank God. You don't lack anything. Do you know you don't lack anything to be able to achieve what God has purposed your life for? His spirit has placed the gifts in you that you will need. We as a church, we don't lack anything, Paul says. God's placed those things there. This is our calling. It's our identity. And the invitation is to live into that reality. When we begin to realize that, there's a whole new outcome to what our lives begin to look like. One of my favorite phrases in this is that this new outcome, Paul says, grace and peace to you. Paul is just kind of, it's just his greeting. It's his declaration. And he says, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. Do you know what the outcome of a life lived into your identity in Christ is? It's grace and peace. Grace and peace. Paul had experienced the grace of God in his own life. He would experienced the peace of God in his life despite tumultuous circumstances. And because he had experienced those things and was so transformed by them, he could pour out those things in the lives of those around him. It would come out naturally for him to just pray and to pass on that grace and peace to others. Do you know what God wants our lives to look like? Grace and peace. Do you know what a distinctly different life looks like in this world? Grace and peace. Because God's declared us holy, because we're not trying to achieve it, we experience grace. And we can share that grace with people around us. Because we know that Jesus will keep us firm to the end and we've got a new hope and a new future. We experience peace in this world. And we can share it with others around us. Our lives should be distinctly different, not because we're always just withdrawing from certain this and that. Sometimes, we, But our lives should be distinctly different because we should be like little beacons of grace and peace in this world. Grace and peace. We sang that song we were singing, you know, peace, peace over me. Lord, set my, you know, set my, set my feet upon the waist on dancing in the deep. That's peace. You know what's not distinctly different? The experience of challenge and storms in life. That is not distinctly different for anyone. That is common to all of humanity. What is distinctly different is to be able to dance in the deep on those waves. To have so much peace in your life, your experience of even the the storms, they don't, just because they roar, it doesn't uh, leave you paralyzed with fear. But in fact, no matter what, you're able to experience grace and peace. That's distinctly different. That course I was just in a couple weeks ago, towards the end of it, the professor, he stopped and he, at the very end, he just wanted to pray a blessing over our, our whole class. And, and, and he was praying this blessing and this one phrase just stood so much out to me. And he said to all of us, may you be little pools of shalom in all the places you go. 
a little pool of shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace, where everything is right and in its place, and there is a stillness there. Wouldn't you love to have it kind of said behind your back that you know what it's like when they're around? They're like a little pool of shalom. And no matter what's happening, when they come in the room, when they sit at the table, when they're around, it's just like this little pool of shalom in a turbulent world. You know, I know I want that for my life. I know I want to live in that space of grace and peace, experiencing God's grace and peace for me, being able to pray it and bring it into others' lives around me, that it might roll off my tongue like it always did for Paul, grace and peace to you, because it's what he knew. It's what he'd lived into. You know, I know a lot of more, you know, I think this, he talks in these verses about fellowship with Jesus, staying connected to Jesus. If you're trying to figure out where that shalom, where that peace comes from, we have to stay connected to him. Because I don't know about you, but I also don't wake up every morning feeling like a pool of shalom. There's a lot of mornings I wake up, I feel much more like the sea breeze just came in and stuffed the whole pool up, you know. And I got to sit with Jesus. And I got to sit enough in his presence. And I got to get out of my heart and talk to him and try and figure out, Lord, why does it feel like the whole pool is stuffed up? And what are the winds that are blowing? And what are the waves I'm feeling? And, Lord, bring peace. Let me sit in your peace. Because I don't want to start my day, and I can't go into this until I've allowed you to bring that grace and peace into my life. And now hopefully I can go and bring it into some others. Grace and peace, that's a distinctly different life, and it's what not a few of us, but all of us are called to live into. And a big part of what you do also see Paul kind of speaking into here is that as a follower of Christ, as those who've been set aside, sanctified, set apart, as those who have been, uh, who have been called to be his holy people in this world, that we are also given a new future and a new foundation. You know, he uses this phrase, in verse, uh, I think it's in verse, verse 7 to 8. And he talks about as you eagerly await, as you eagerly await uh, the revealing of Jesus. And in fact, go back to those verses 7 to 9. As you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And he talks about them being kept firm to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you one of the things that has to distinguish us, that makes us distinctly different, is we as followers of Jesus are now in this calling, in this identity, we have a different end point that we are to be looking towards than, than the people around us or what our lives look like before we met Christ. And that end point is that now no longer do we look ahead to the future and just sort of think, I hope I kind of get through life sort of safely. I hope kind of I have a, a, a family that looks one way or friendships that look one way or a house that looks a certain way or certain experiences or travel I'm hoping. Our end point is no longer all these things, but there is one clear destination we begin to look towards. And it's the revealing of Jesus Christ. If you're new to faith, you may not know this, but the Bible shows us clearly Jesus came to this world once as a child. And he grew and lived, died for our sins. He rose again. He went to heaven, and the Bible teaches us so clearly. And one day he will be revealed, not as an infant again, but he will come as king and lord. And it will be revealed before all people as he returns that he is, in fact, lord of history. That he, that he is the, the, the king of kings. That's what all history is moving towards. 
and as followers of Christ. What I love about what he says to Corinthians, like, you are eagerly waiting this. This is the purpose. This is the future. You're looking forward to that day. You're looking forward to seeing Jesus revealed, to being with him. Paul would say in his own life, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That the whole direction, the one future, the end point, everything begins to gear around is knowing Jesus. Our future. We are to have this destination on the map that's like there's, there's one place I'm trying to get to, and that's knowing Jesus face to face. And I'm eagerly awaiting that reality. You may find yourself going, gee, I don't know. I mean, I, I know for myself, I read that this week, and I just had to ask myself, is that the eager expectation of my life? Is that the thing that's kind of shaping my decisions? And, my, and Lord, do, am I eagerly awaiting this? Because I want to live into that. I don't want to get sidetracked and put a different, you know, drop the, the pin marker at a different spot in the map and end up moving this direction. I want that pin marker to be on awaiting Jesus. I want to know him. I want to eagerly be awaiting for that. You know, when I was, and I think at the core of it, it is we have to be a people, if we're going to be the holy people, the holy ones, we are meant to have a life where we are just eagerly desiring just to know him and to grow in that. We have a new future. It's a new endpoint, and that gives shape to everything we do. You know, whenever you put a directions into a Google map and you put, here's the, the, the spot I want to get to, it'll give you a whole bunch of different ways you could get there. But the thing that matters most is just where do I want to get to? That'll give shape to how you go, what roads you take, where there's traffic, where there's not. You know, it, but the end point is what will determine it. And we've got to be really clear. This was the future. This was the end point. What Paul says, this is distinctly different. Why do our lives look distinctly different? Because we're moving to a distinctly different destination. And we got to be really, and if we're going to, and if you find yourself, but how, how do I, can I just encourage, it is, the way we keep that destination firm is that we cultivate our relationship with God. When I went to, to New York, was there away from my wife, my son for two weeks, I was eagerly awaiting being back with them. And they, just so you know, were eagerly awaiting. I didn't ask them, but I could tell. They were eagerly awaiting me coming back. Why? Because we have connection, relationship. We love one another, and when you love someone, you cannot help but eagerly await that. So I encourage you, you know, what, I think the call for everyone who's a follower of Christ is to go, this is, am I prioritizing, cultivating that connection, the relationship of love with my heavenly father that he intends for me. So the more we do that, the more you just feel like, I can't wait. I can see him face to face. I love that we get to celebrate communion and to share in it. But boy, Lord, I look forward to that one day I'll sit at the table with you. And that begins to shape everything. And we also realize there's a new foundation. We don't arrive at that destination based on our own efforts, on our own work. We arrive at that destination because it says he will keep you firm to the end. In fact, he says you'll be blameless on the day he comes. Can I just share one piece of great news with you this morning? You will not be blameless because you get it all right. None of us will. What this passage reminds us is that the reason we are blameless is because we will be found in Christ. We don't achieve holiness. He declares it. And someday when we stand before him, God will not see our shortcomings and mistakes and failures. If we are in Christ, he will see the righteousness of Christ applied to our lives. That's why the Bible says you will be blameless. 
Because it's not about you. It's about him. Oh, that's good news. That is good news. So does that mean we do whatever we want? No, farthest thing from it. It means that if I'm in Christ and he's declared me holy and I've got a new identity and I've got a new calling and I've got a new future and I've got a new hope, that now all I want to do is to begin to live into those directions. Not because I'm trying to achieve anything, but just because that's it. That's where I'm going. I want to live into that. And as we do that, we get to experience the grace and the peace. And we get to be distinctly different in this world. And wherever we go, imagine this, wherever you go, wherever I go, whatever room, whatever office, whatever school, whatever sports club, whatever neighborhood, whatever street, whatever sitting down for a meal, everywhere we go, we bring holiness into that room. We, we are distinctly different in that room. It's not something we got to try and work hard to make happen. It's just being who we've been called to be. New identity, new call, his holy people in this world. Wouldn't you love to live into that? I want to pray for us this morning. And I want to pray for us because these things aren't, you know, it's not a, now here's what we have to do. It's, it's an identity to live into. And I want to pray, you know, it tells us that we will not lack any spiritual gift because of his work in us. I want to pray that God would just fill every one of us who wants it with all that we need to live into that calling. Would you bow with me for a moment? Lord, this morning, I want to thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that, Lord, you have declared us to be holy as we put our faith in you. Thank you that you have a new hope and a new future for us. And, Lord, I just want to pray for every person here who in the deepest part of their heart just says, Lord, I want to live into this. Lord, I pray that this week you'd so fill them with your spirit. You'd so fill them with all that they need that they would just be walking in and living out their identity as the holy ones. God, I pray that as we go into our homes and workplaces and communities and all the places that you have placed us, that we would live out our calling. We'd live out our calling to be your holy people. I pray we'd have such a deep sense of our identity and of the calling you have given us. It wouldn't be like something we ever take on and off, but a reality we live into everywhere we go. Lord, I thank you and we thank you that you have done that which we could not do. We celebrate, Lord, your body and blood given for us today, knowing that you, you are the righteous one, the blameless one, and you have applied that to our lives. Thank you. Thank you. May your grace and peace be ours in abundance. Through the power of your spirit and in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed, said, amen. Amen. We're going to be wrapping our service up in uh, just a moment.
And uh, just want to 